Thank you for tuning in to our North Point Community Church podcast. Wherever you are in your faith journey, we pray that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged and empowered. If you would like more information about our community, visit our website at ncc.team. I am so touched by a Monday night Bible study and teaching, and you came out. That's fantastic, huh? Only in Louisiana, huh? That's wonderful. So uh, we're talking about the inner circle, uh, part two, and um, I want to go in line with your theme here this year, accelerate, right? And you want to uh, accelerate in the Great Commission, I hope, in discipleship, uh, in, and uh, what Jesus told you to do and what he has called us to do. So we will jump right into that, and I, I want to open up. Tonight, we're just quoting from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, uh, where it says that uh, Jesus appointed 72 in the first verse, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town, uh, to every town and every place. And I want you to get this now. We need one another. That's why he sent us two by two. And it's very important with who you hang out with. You heard that yesterday. And uh, we need one another. I need Philip. Uh, and uh, you need someone very much to finish your race, isn't it? To go where God has called you to do, to reach your full potential. You're not solo in this, right? Uh, but when we go out there two and two and we support one another, we will also experience what the disciples experienced. And we read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 17, that the 72 returned with joy. And I believe that joy is going to come to all of you. So part two, I have a subtitle to, I call it, Share Your Faith or Die. Is that a good subtitle tonight? Share Your Faith or Die. We should have tombstones and stuff up here right now. Okay, I will, I will introduce that to you in just a few minutes. But in the 90s, uh, more than 20 years ago, I, I walked with a backpack into the rainforests uh, between Uganda and Congo, a fresh missionary to Africa. I'd been working in Africa for some years, and we wanted to reach the pygmies, the Batwa people. And... Uh, uh, we, 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 we came to a place where they said there is a village up here in the mountains and we didn't have anything with us to do an outreach. So we disconnected the car battery and got that on top of one of the heads and we took uh, one of those old-fashioned old that still existed in the 90s stereos, do you know what I'm saying? with a little microphone that we connected to the stereo, and then we connected the car battery to the stereo. And we carried that awesome, fantastic, expensive equipment with us up in the mountains. And we, after a long, long walk, we came into a pygmy village, Batwa village. And uh, I preached the gospel with that little car battery, stereo, and microphone for a full day there. Explain the gospel, creation, uh, Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, the disciples, salvation. And uh, at the end of that day, I did my salvation invitation. Then everyone bowed their knees except two. They wanted to think over the message a little bit. But they gave their lives to Jesus. And, and I got to baptize the chieftain of the village. And an elder called Malibane. Malibane, by the way, I took with me in my car to discipleship him a little bit, to give him some training. And that was the first time he rode a car. Uh, and when we met the truck on the road, he was about to crawl out the window. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. And uh, he saw Ice Cube for the first time in his life in the Coca-Cola glass in the hotel. And I explained to him that I'm coming from a nation, a place where we got it on the trees and on the ground. And he was, wow. And he was, uh, he was many more years than 
20, he told me when I asked him how old he was. And I said, then we are the same age. <laughs> but he was definitely in his 70s somewhere. But Malibane changed his name after baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit. And today his name, if, if he lives, I don't know if he lives, but today his name is Johannes. Yeah. And we founded a brand new church among the pygmies and the Batwa people. And uh, I remember I sat uh, one of those evenings after we had experienced all that. I sat with tears just rolling down my cheeks uh, thinking, who needs a motorcycle or a brand new car? Who needs a new kitchen? Huh? Who needs even a new pair of jeans? I have found my treasure. This I can live for. This is what life is all about. To share my faith with people that have never heard it. And I hope that tonight you will get eager. You will get, how do you say, you will get a taste of this. And, uh, and you will start to live this amazing life. Okay. Share your faith or die. Okay. See if we can get a map here of Israel. I'm going to share some things concerning Israel. Yeah, you all know uh, what Israel looks like, you Bible readers, right? We got the Sea of Galilee in the north. And the Sea of Galilee is just full of fish. Has an amazing uh, bird life, vegetation. Uh, then you follow the Jordan River all the way down to the Dead Sea. And in the Dead Sea, it's very different. How many of you know that? Some of you have been there. Uh, that's an inland lake that is, the low, that is at the lowest point on earth, 422 meters below sea level. And it has no output. 33.7% salt. The water is so poisonous that if you drink a little bit of it, you can die. There is no fish, no bird life, and no vegetation around it. Um, what is the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea? It's simple, huh? Sea of Galilee has an intake and an outtake. And the Dead Sea has only an intake. Nothing goes out. So the same water is up in the Sea of Galilee as is in the Dead Sea. Did you get that now? It's the same water. Comes down from the mountains, from the Golan Heights, from Lebanon and from Syria. And goes in to the Sea of Galilee. It's the same water that we have in the Sea of Galilee as we have in the Dead Sea. But in the Dead Sea it's poisonous. And in the Sea of Galilee, it's life-giving. What is the difference? So, with natural water, it is just the same, right? That if natural water is not flowing, if it's not moving, it becomes poisonous. Um, so, you, you, you've all received that picture now. Question is, who are you? Are you the Sea of Galilee? Or are you the Dead Sea? Doesn't matter how much water we pour into you if there is no outtake. Doesn't matter how many sermons you hear, how much you drink in worship, how much you pray, if you don't share what you receive, you die. Everyone is awake. And you, you, you can't argue with it. It's just the way it is. Now my question is, do you belong to a Galilee church or a Dead Sea church? A Galilee church, huh? A life-giving church, right? This is very important when we, when we evaluate our lives and when we look at our lives, what kind of a Christian am I? What kind of a life am I living? Why, why am I depressed? Why am I bored? Why do I need counseling all the time? Why am I so, are you hearing me now? Why am I so, so, so occupied with a little prophecy in the book of Revelation?
Why, why, uh, why do I think about all the prophecies that they have spoken over me? Why is everything about me and my problems and how I can get help? Right? I need to go to a church, I mean, where I receive something. Where the pastor speaks to my needs. Well, Mr. Dead Sea. Well, Mrs. Dead Sea, let me address you today. The problem is not the pastor. Problem is not the worship team. The problem is not, you know, all the others. The problem is you got no outtake. The water is not flowing. So what was healthy once can become unhealthy. What you experienced 20 years ago that was healthy then can be poisonous now. All right. My introduction to the subject tonight. John's Gospel chapter 4. <laughs> Jesus explains to us the concept of the living water. And we read here when Jesus met this woman at the well from John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 5. We're reading. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, well, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But Jesus answered her, well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. All right, let's stop there and let's say something about the living water. You know all that Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit. He speaks about the Spirit that he would give to those that believed in him. And he says something about the Holy Spirit, and that is that it will be a spring in us, a well in us that comes up with water, right? Pumps up water. For, I don't know what you say. Water gushes up like, like a geyser, right? And there's something about this that uh, it overflows. The more you give, the more you receive. It's supposed to go out of you. Uh, it cannot cease because it's a spring in you and a well in you. That's the concept of the living water. That's one part of it. But um, Jesus really does something here, and I'm going to teach you from it. When he, Jesus asks for a drink, that's my point number one in the introduction, and he asks for a drink because that's the best way you can do when you are sharing your faith with someone, you're asking them uh, pretty much in line with the lack in their lives. And then when they themselves realize that they are lacking something, you can go on talking what you have to offer. So I've learned that living the Great Commission, sharing my faith, making disciples, that I ask questions like, do you sleep well at night? Do you have peace about the life you're living? You happy about the life you're living? Do you feel satisfied about what you've built so far? And when I ask those questions, they themselves discover the lack in their lives. And when they discover the lack in their lives, then I can offer what I have. 
And Jesus shows us that brilliantly here in this text. And then number two, the woman was unwilling to give him water because she had not yet tasted the living water. Let me explain this. If you only have so much water and you live in a desert and it's dry, how can you share it? All right? That's the natural thing. If you only have so much water, how can you share it? But with the living water, it is completely different. The more you share, the more you receive. The more you share, the more fresh and new you are receiving all the time. All right. There's something fantastic in this. She was not willing to share because she has not tasted the living water. Then Jesus explains the concept of the living water. And I would say the concept of the living water is this. It never ceases. It is a well. Plus, it must be flowing. It must be going. It must be moving. And here comes now some radical, radical statements. If you experienced the Holy Spirit 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or even 10 years ago, uh, but you've not done anything with your experience, your experience can become poisonous to you. Because you are now wanting to relive or experience again what you experienced then, but that will kill you. Because what you experience then is poisonous now. It should have been given then. Are you hearing me? So here is the thing. It doesn't matter that you receive to the overflowing of the Holy Spirit if you never pass it on and share it. You can be on the floor rattling under the power of God in every revival meeting, in every outpouring that exists in America, but you will still become a poisonous Dead Sea believer if you never start sharing your faith. You don't need another revival. You need to share what you've received. You don't need another outpouring until you've given what you have received. And in order for him to give new to you, you must first give what you have received. I came into an old house once when I was a kid together with my grandfather. And that, that, uh, that was after a long winter up in the north of Europe. And uh, the water had not been on. So he poured, you know, he put on the water in the kitchen. And uh, I remember when the pump started going under the house. And uh, everything started sounding like this. Tudunk, tudunk in the pipes because there was stuff in the pipes there were all kinds of things in the pipes and he he just said just you see what happened and the, the whole sink moved the whole pipe moved and i stood there fascinated and the first water that came out was brown it was stinking it was it was it was bad smell to it but the more the water flowed the cleaner it became so when an old Christian that has not been given starts to give, it will not be pleasant in the beginning. <laughs> but the only way for you to experience new wine, new water, fresh Holy Spirit is to start to share what you have. The only way to get out the old is to put it on. Get it out. So when you start to share with other people in the beginning, if you haven't shared for a long time, might not be that fresh. Might not, you may not even use the right words even. Might come out very strange and weird. You come across like a spaceship somehow. And the words you're using are 30 years old because they are 30-year-old experiences. Isn't it? So 10-year-old experiences. But when you give it and, it and it starts to flow, all of a sudden you will become relevant. You will be a life giver. It will flow. The conclusion of the concept of the living water is it must be shared. 
in order for the water to stay life-giving, the more you give, the more you receive. All right. John's Gospel 7, verse 37, 38 says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. It's good to be thirsty. It's good to go to Jesus to drink. But there should also flow something out of you. You can see this in this particular verses. James 2.26 tells us, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deed is dead. All right. I want to talk a little bit with you about real Christianity contra religious Christianity. Can we do that? Uh, we have a problem with the traditional church world that we think that we need to get ready for the harvest. We need to be super equipped. I'm talking the religious language now. I did not grow up in church. I started ministry uh, once me and Maria had discovered faith. We started sharing our faith. We started planting churches, going to unreached people groups. But as I've been traveling, doing conferences, met church folks all over the world, I've heard this talk all the time that we need to be prepared and equipped in order to do. The problem is that they prepare and equip for decades and decades. They build barns, they prepare, they prophesy over one another, isn't it? They, 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 they work and work with the preparation, but they never really get to, to it, right? To where, where they need to be. Real Christianity contra religious Christianity. And who defines Christianity? It is not Johannes. It is not you. It is not the denomination you grew up with. Isn't it? Come on now. It's not the Pentecostal movement. Who, de who, who defines Christianity? Jesus. I always say this when I visit schools and colleges and universities. When they say, aren't you a little extreme? I said, it depends on who defines it. <laughs> According to Jesus, I'm probably a little lame of a Christian. I'm probably a little, you know, I'm not really where I'm supposed to be because he walked on water and raised the dead and cleansed the lepers. And, you know, I haven't walked on water yet. haven't raised the dead yet, so I'm a little behind. Jesus said that, I should do the same things as he did and even greater. So it really, really, def I mean, who defines it? Jesus defines Christianity. You agree with me? If Jesus doesn't define Christianity, what about Christianity, Christ, all that? Getting it? He defines it. Well, the thing with Jesus is that, number one, when Jesus called his disciples, he immediately turned them into fishes of men. Do you agree with me? He didn't train them for a long time. He said in Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 17, Come follow me, said Jesus, and, and, and I will make you a fisher of men, or I will send you to fish for people. He, that was the first thing he said to Peter. The first thing he said. And then Peter followed him immediately when he went out preaching. Teaching, healing, casting out demons, isn't it? Performing the miraculous. So he was teaching them the concept of the living water, right? Immediately. That this life with me is about sharing. This life with me is about, so, so, so don't get me wrong now, but here it is. I'm going to be super radical and I'm just going to be biblical. All right? You're not a Christian if you don't share your faith. No, 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 no. So some of you think that I'm trying to provoke you. I'm, no, no, no. I'm just trying to be true to the definition of Jesus. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Following me is fishing men. Being a follower of me is bringing others. So as he taught them, he sent them out. They came back. He taught them by doing. He taught them by showing them how to. You know, it's better 
to teach someone to pray by praying with them. Isn't it? It's better to teach someone to be a giver by giving yourself. It's better to sharing your faith together with people so that they can see how you do it. My daughter Alicia, 20 years old, just came to me. I'm so touched by it and I feel almost afraid. <laughs> she said, Daddy, this summer I would like to travel with you. Can you teach me everything you know? I want to learn how to pray for the sick. I want to learn how to cast out demons. I want to go out in the streets with you and see how you talk to people. I want to be with you in the room when you pray. Read the Bible with me. Well, middle-aged slumber is over. Because you got a 20-year-old looking over your shoulder. Wanting to know every step of your life. I guess there's going to be fewer Netflix films this summer and, and more gospel doing. Are you here? You know the arrows in the quiver, right? It's fun to have them and then they start to stick you. Show me how it's done. Show me how you do it. But that's how Jesus did it, isn't it? He said to Peter, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And they walked out and they did it. They gathered the tens of thousands. They healed the sick. They casted out demons. They discipled people by the thousands. And immediately they went into this. Not after three years of Bible college. Not after a lot of Bible. No, no, no. Immediately they went into it. And I think that. It's very interesting that that is the first words Jesus says to the disciples when he calls them. And it's the last words that he says to them when he leaves them. Number two, when Jesus left, he commissioned his disciple to do what? Make disciples. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Isn't it? The Son and the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28. And surely I'm with you. And I sometimes say, when is Jesus going to be with you? I'm just, you know, preaching the word. When is Jesus going to be with you? When you go and make disciples. Why am I so alone here? Why are you not hearing my prayers? Well, because you're not doing what I called you to do. And you're not living the life I meant for you to live. Because being a Christian is not to sit in a church. Being a Christian, are you hearing me, is not just to hang out with other Christians. Being a Christian is to share your faith. And when you share your faith, revelation grows. Wisdom grows. Because it flows through you. It was the first thing he said. And it was the last thing he said. Could we learn something from that? So who is a Christian? The one that follows Jesus, that wants to become like Jesus, and that wants to obey his words, isn't it? I'm not to judge who's a Christian or not. The word does that by itself. We, I'm not to judge. I am not saying he's a Christian, he's not a Christian. God is the judge of that. The word is the judge of that. But he's also the word is also the mirror that we look into, right? And are changed by. Jesus shows us this. And I really want to put some healthy pressure on all of you here tonight. That's, that's really what I want to do. Because the ones that I counsel the most, and I've counseled the most over the years, me and Marie have talked a lot about this, that's not the Great Commission Christians. That's not those that goes on mission trips regularly, that lives to share their faith with their neighbors that are out there in society trying to help the homeless and the broken and the addict. No, that's, the not, that's not the one I counsel. They come for advice every third year or so, and, and then they want to run out and do what I told them. This is a good advice. But those that need counseling all the time and help all the time, are you here? Are those that are not active in their faith. That are not sharing. Those that want prophecies over their lives all the time. And laying on of hands and prayers all the time. Or those that are not sharing their faith. Are you here? 
They are charismatic junkies. Give me another fix, pastor. Pray for me. Pump something into my veins quick. Lay hands upon me. Let me experience another worship concert. If we only called him or her or had that one coming, then. No, no, no. That's not what we need. We need to load you on an airplane and get you to the mission field. We need to start a homeless ministry. That's what we need to do. We need to be out there taking care of the addicts of our city, isn't it? We need to feed some broken people, help some people, and you would not need all this laying on of hands. It's a problem with the, you know, Holy Spirit Christians or so-called Holy Spirit Christians that have misunderstood the entire concept of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was not giving for you to have goosebumps, for you to have experience. We're coming to that. The Holy Spirit was given for another purpose, right? Another reason. Number three, when Jesus gave his followers, the church, his Holy Spirit, it was for this one purpose. Testifying. Sharing. I'm using the word testifying because the church uses that word. <laughs> When we came to faith, me and Maria, we, are they going to testify? In what court are they showing up, you know? Where, where, are, the, where are they going to, you know? But anyhow, Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The purpose of the Holy Spirit was not for us to feel good. It was a helper. You will feel good with the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He will give you peace, isn't it? And joy. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We can continue here. Galatians 5. It's all there. You will have it. But the purpose for the Holy Spirit given to you was not for you to have charismatic experiences in the conference of the Pentecostal church. We have a problem with Pentecostals that are not Pentecostals because they don't understand that what happened on the day of Pentecost was that they ran out in the streets. Right after the experience, they ran out in the streets, preached the gospel so that 3,000 people were baptized on that day. That's Pentecostals. Not let's have another conference. Conferences are for Christians, we say. Festivals, as we do them in Africa, are for non-Christians. Are you here? What is it that we want to live? What is it that we want to put up? What is it that we want to invest our money in? No wonder people feel miserable. Because they do everything except what they're called to do. No wonder they feel miserable. No wonder they are fooled about this life. Sometimes it's strange that some people that, you know, in some denominations that don't even teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They don't even teach on, on the gifts of the Spirit, but they are active evangelizing. Doing alpha courses and, you know, doing all kinds of things to reach the unreached and the unsaved. They are happier than the gloomy me Pentecostals that are experiencing all this power all the time because they are doing what Jesus called them to do. You'll be happy doing what Jesus called you to do. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, after baptism in the Holy Spirit, doing what Jesus called you to do, you can live an abundant life, a fantastic life. And when you come into church, you're coming in, you know, dry as a desert. You're coming in because you want to fill <laughs> so that you can give again. You're coming in to pray, to pump up water from that well within, isn't it? So that you can keep on giving to those out there. Number four, the heartbeat of the first century church was to testify about Jesus. 
Acts 4, 32-33 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all because they were occupied. They were fully occupied with testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I got something more that I want to share with you. But, um, my greatest joy in life, I discovered early on by preaching the gospel to the unreached in that pygmy village. Or when we came to the headhunters of the northern Philippines. And Maria and me danced. What was the dance called, baby? The bird dance. The bird dance. I know that there might be some very strict Pentecostals in here. You would have not participated in such a dance. <laughs> because you are afraid that this would have been witchcraft. And maybe it was. I don't know. But we danced. We danced the bird dance. And afterwards, the blind got their sight and the deaf were hearing and hundreds came to the Lord. But when we came there, we heard the story of this headhunter chieftain, Molina. Hmm. They told us Molina had taken 35 heads. In order for you to get married, you needed to present a head to the father-in-law. In order for you to be a chieftain, you need to present a lot of heads. They tried to come against it as a government in the 70s, but it had lasted a little longer than that. They were not so many, if I say so. The Elongots, <laughs> yeah, the Elongots, the Igorots, and the Dumagats, the tribes up there in the northern Luzon, they were not that many because they'd been killing one another like crazy. But I heard about Molina, the chieftain, that had taken so many heads and I just got this idea. I think it must have been from the Holy Spirit. I just had this, 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 this thing in me that he should do the opening speech in your festival. And everyone said, no. You cannot have this heathen, this bloodthirsty headhunter chieftain speak in your festival. But I just knew that he that is a friend of sinners, right? Hallelujah. He that called Matthew a tax collector, right? He that loves the sick because they need a doctor. Ah, that calls the unrighteous because he wants to bring them to righteousness, right? Him, he loved Molina. So we, we got hold of him. And he spoke. And everyone was holding their breath. When this old headhunter chieftain spoke. But with that, the entire area opened up. All the tribes came together. And on one night, we had a woman that had been blind 24 years receiving her sight. And when people saw that she received her sight and screamed at the top of the voices, there were seven deaf people that received their hearing. And now the gospel went in and really transformed and we started baptizing. I remember the first baptism, we baptized 101 people in the river. People were baptized in the Holy Spirit and stayed on the ground until the next day. Hallelujah. The book of Acts was there because we loved, are you here? An unreached. It's a funny thing, strange thing. I shouldn't say it's funny, but it's strange. That I see more miracles with Muslims and Muslim crowds than I see in Christian conferences. With all of these people that have fasted and prayed and for so many years, and here comes the Muslims. And they have an expectation. They have a hunger. They have an eagerness. Are you getting what I'm saying? I think it all has to do with the heartbeat of the church. I think it all has to do with the Great Commission about us sharing it. When I come to a new place, I always look for people to connect with. I came to Pakistan. 
Al-Qaeda was threatening us. Everyone was against us. But I heard about a certain mullah, chief mullah, a leader for the mosques up there in Punjab. And uh, I asked if I could meet him. So I had a dinner with him. And he dressed me up. And, you know, have you seen the, the Taliban hats? And the whole outfit. And he welcomed me. And uh, it was beautiful, wonderful. I preached in it. And we became the best of It was a little confusing to some Al-Qaeda snipers. <laughs> uh, you know. Who are we shooting tonight? <laughs> the guy in the Taliban hat. And, <laughs> but we became so good friends. Me and the chieftain mullah. The chief mullah of the entire area. He sat on, in my hotel room every day and chain smoked. <laughs> he said, I can't smoke anywhere else, you know. Because I'm a Muslim. <laughs> Can I smoke in your room, Pastor? <laughs> I had to laugh about it so much. He looked like Santa Claus. He had a beard down here, you know. But we became such good friends. So when they wanted to close me down because of all the miracles that were happening and all the Muslims giving their lives to Jesus, he came to my aid and my defense. And he hindered the authorities from closing me down because he said he is a holy man. I don't know if it was because he could smoke in my hotel room. Or <laughs> if it was for the miracles. But. I've always made friends with sinners. Always made friends with people out there. It's been mafia hoods. and It's been chieftains. Are you here? It's been chief mullahs. And I could go on. It's been officers in the military. Oh, I can keep on going. And they've always given me their platforms, their stages of influence. I stayed overnight at a military camp once, and I was just friendly and open. And before I knew it, I was speaking to all the men in the canteen and led people to the Lord. When you love to do the Great Commission, and make disciples. Life is getting exciting. It's easy to hear the Holy Spirit. And the water is flowing. There is so much power for the supernatural. All the things that you want to see but have never seen will happen. Because it doesn't happen in churches per se. It happens among the Muslims. Among the atheists and the humanists. Are you there? Among those that Jesus wants to demonstrate his power to and love on and reach. Are you getting it? Please don't live a boring religious life. Please don't waste your life just hanging out with bomb shelter Christians. Sitting isolated and, you know, reading books that you've Seven steps to the double anointing and the 14 gates to this and that. Oh, my goodness. I'm not reading any of these books. No, I really want to. I don't know if. You, I, I don't know. I don't want to be mean. I want you to get it. I want you to get it. Why am I not reading these books? Because the seven steps to the double anointing is in the seven people that you will win for the Lord. Are you here? And the 14 gates to the super duper power of the 12 keys or whatever holy number you want to put on it. Are you there? Is in the next group of, are you here? Teenagers at a high school that you help to Jesus. Are you getting what I'm saying? I don't want to come down on anything, but I really would like to say that we have misunderstood charismatic Christianity so much. The most power is not flowing among the fancy suits. The most power is flowing among the unreached. Are you hearing me?
the real power, the book of Acts kind of life that you really would like to live. That happens when you sit at the party with the tequilas and the Bloody Marys around. That doesn't mean that you have to drink it because you got another drink, right? A living water that you want to share. But you're right there where the needs are. You're right there. You're not hiding. You're not protecting yourself. You're not afraid of the world that Jesus died for, are you? He so much loved the world that he died for it, isn't it? That he gave himself for it. Hmm. All right. I know we have had teachings over the years that has been confusing. I just want to address it briefly. Teachings that have been so much, had so much emphasis on holiness that we felt that we needed to protect ourselves from the one that we were called to go to. That we shouldn't associate with them. How in the world are we then going to win them? No, no, no. The devil was very sly. He was very smart when he isolated the most powerful movement on the planet called the Pentecostal movement. Are you hearing me now? He was very sly. He said, separate from them. Don't be with them. Don't touch them. My goodness. What a successful lie. Like you would be more holy by not doing the Great Commission. Like you would be more holy not sharing your faith and giving the living water. Are you hearing me today? Let's not be fooled. Five, the very purpose of the Apostle Paul's life was sharing the gospel. Don't we love his words? Whether I'm in chains, he says in Philippians 1, 7, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. If I'm in chains, if I'm defending it, if I'm in prison, if I'm free, I want to share the gospel. And in front of governors, he spoke the gospels. In front of kings, in the trials, he spoke the gospel. In the prison, he spoke the gospel. Jesus did not call us to isolation. Started long, long before uh, the misunderstood holiness movements. It started long before that in the church history with monks and nuns in isolation. In us believing we could become holy if we just separated ourselves. Went into the deserts and built monasteries and kept ourselves away. But Jesus never said go into monastery. He said go into all the world and preach the gospel. The call of Jesus to all of us was to go share our faith. And the more we shared, the more it would overflow. The most beautiful Christians I've met are those that are living their lives to share the gospel and make disciples. Why are you saying that? Because the Spirit is flowing. The Spirit is just flowing, flowing, flowing. And they are becoming holy when they do. When they meet with the needs. When they see the grief and the pain of sin. Are you here? When they try to give the gospel of forgiveness, the blood and repentance to someone that needs it to survive, to live, isn't it? Who wants to have the bad side of the world's when you are so in touch with it that you see the back side of it every day? Are you here? No. When you've been helping addicts, are you here? Are you hearing me today? None. You don't, uh, you, don't, you, be, you don't become one yourself because you see the backside. Sometimes you hate it and sometimes you love it. That goes for everything that is healthy, isn't it? Working out. 
eating healthy. Well, I always hate it. But we know that when we do it, it affects our lives. It's the shame with sharing your faith. You can live a church-going life and never share your faith, but it will not be a healthy life. You will make it to heaven, but without any fun. Are you here? Because the fun is in the sharing. Sometimes we hate it, but we do it, and we feel so good. It's nothing like walking out of the gym. Are you here? I did it. <laughs> nothing like eating that salad. I mean, when you have eaten it and you feel, you want to post it on Instagram so that everyone should see. <laughs> I ate a salad this week. Or I ate a salad this month. I sometimes even send a picture to Maria. Look, baby. But let's not talk about the other 29 days. Those baskets that I receive in the hotel room in the American churches. Full of cookies and donuts. They've destroyed this man. <laughs> well, let's blame someone else. It's easier. <laughs> Baby, I'm doing pretty good here tonight, am I not? Maybe I'm good, huh? All right. She's in love with me. She, she, I mean, Philip gave me that look. Now, you can't ask her. She's in love with you. That's not fair. Share the gospel every week, friends. Who are you going to baptize in 2019? That's my question tonight. Who are you bringing into your inner circle? What if there will be new small groups and new house churches all over Bosher City and Shreveport? What do you say, huh? All over the area here where you share your faith with your working colleagues. Where you share your faith with those that you play basketball with or go to the gym with. Are you here? If you share your faith with those that you're hunting with. I was hunting in Norway not so long ago and it was fantastic. I, I shot so many deers that day. So they said, have you prayed to God? And I confessed, yes, I have. And then one of the non-Christian guys said, we were 30 hunters. Well... You better, <laughs> you better tell us all about that during lunch break. I said, I can do that if you allow me to preach. You mean we will shoot more deers? Definitely, I said, you will shoot more deers. <laughs> if you allow me to preach. So I preached. <laughs> Fifteen minutes I preached. And they all loved it. Share your faith everywhere. Sometimes when I got out a deer and I got blood up to my elbows, I lift up my head and I said, let me tell you about another blood. <laughs> and they all say, here we go again. <laughs> because I love to share my faith. Who will you baptize this year? Share your faith. Or die. Let's stand up on our feet. Here at North Point Community Church, we believe in creating Christ-centered, culture-changing community through the message of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your support. If you would like more information, you can visit our website at ncc.team or follow us on any social media platform at CC North Point.